I want to encourage you now, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians as we continue our study there in the book of Ephesians. And we'll be reading from verses 25 through 33 as we continue on with the subject of family relationships and the role of husbands. Role of husbands. Last week we covered the role of wives in the family. And this week we will be speaking on the subject of husbands and their role and responsibility and family relationships. As I've mentioned before, this flows out of a spirit-filled life. And we have been looking at what it means to live a life that is filled or controlled by the Spirit of God. And this is a manifestation of mutual submission and the sense that they are to be considerate and loving towards their wives. And in verse 25 of the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, it begins this way. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's bow in a word of prayer before we begin our study again. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your scriptures. Teach us what is true and right, that we might live a life that is right and holy in your sight. So God, open our eyes once again that we might see great and mighty things which we do not know. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, as I mentioned in the previous verses, we have just covered the section on wives and the relationship to husbands and their role, which has been established since creation. And we saw last week that even in the establishment of the creation order, there were roles and responsibilities between men and women. But conflict entered into the marriage relationship as we looked at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And that sin entered and confounded the relationship such that the wife would desire to usurp the role of the husband and the husband in turn would desire to oppress and dominate his wife. That was the result of sin. 
And in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see all the effects of sin upon the family. There is polygamy, there is adultery in the book of Genesis, there is perversion and fornication, prostitution, there is seduction and incest, the reversal of roles of husbands and wives. All of these things sin ushered in and breaking apart the family, the fabric of the family to distort what God had intended to be a harmonious and permanent relationship for, for life. And so here we come to the role of the husband. There are so many more verses here in speaking of the role of the husband and his love for the wife because in those days and even in today, the wife has many times been mistreated and has had very few rights in biblical times, in fact. And one of the things that has made difficult for wives to submit, as I mentioned last week, is when the husband does not function in his God-given role as a loving spiritual leader as he ought to be. And it can force the wife to take on particular responsibilities or particular decision roles or whatnot because he has abdicated his role in the family. And so we come to this passage here that Paul writes in verse 25 of what the role of the husband is to be in the family. And the first is very clear. Love your wives as Christ sacrificially loved the church. To love your wives as Christ sacrificially loved the church. The primary command, as we look in verse 25, is husbands, love your wives. It is repeated again in verse 28. Now, you and I have heard messages on this particular passage, and people will give some wonderful examples about the things you can do to show your wife that you love her. Now, I wish I could give you plenty of those particular examples, but I can't. And I am, those of you who are at the retreat, know that I am not shy. So... I just want to let you know that I'm not so worried about giving an example because the primary and the best example is given right here in the text for us. And I think sometimes that example is actually overlooked because when people come to this passage, they say to yourselves, well, husbands love your wives. And then they think of all these ways that they can show their wife that they love them. The example that is given here, I think, gives us some insight into how you are to do so. And what is the motive to that love that is actually displayed here? And it's displayed by what Jesus did for the church. What is God's intention? So as we unwrap this particular text, let's look at this text of Scripture. And the analogy that is first given, there are two. The analogy that is first given is Christ's sacrificial love for the church. For it says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, we see here very plainly, if a husband is going to love his wife, it's going to be just as Christ loved the church. And herein lies the big difference. What type of love does God desire husbands to have for their wives? You think about it. Those of you who are married... What was it that attracted you to your spouse when you first met them? What was it about your spouse, your husband, your wife, that you liked about them, that attracted you, that made you fall in love with them in the first place? Why'd you marry them? Well, many answers in our society would say, well, they're physically attractive, or maybe they have a nice personality, or maybe they're funny and witty. And one person told me, oh, they they make me laugh. 
Or some people marry because they're marrying somebody who's famous or well-known. Or maybe because they're gifted. Or maybe because they have wealth. Or perhaps simply because they make them feel loved. Oftentimes, it's because of what someone can do for them, very selfishly. Because, you see, when you take away that quality or those abilities, oftentimes that, quote-unquote, love disappears. Oh, they're not so attractive anymore. Or they're, they've lost all of their wealth. Or maybe something happens and their gifts are taken away. And because the world's love is so fickle, so shallow, when those things are taken away, then people say, well, I'm no longer in love. And they decide they're going to get a divorce. But Christ, you see, here in this example, never loved the church. He didn't love you because you were funny, not because you were intelligent, not because you made a lot of money, not because you were famous. No, not for any of those shallow or fickle reasons. Why did God love you? Why did Christ love the church? There are two primary reasons. Number one, because it was his nature to love. Because it was his nature to love. Well, God is love and it is his nature to love and express that love. Now, of course, that's something that probably can't replicate. But number two, why did Jesus love the church? Because we needed to be loved. We needed to be loved. And in God's grace and in God's mercy, God sent his son to die for our sins because he loved you and he loved me. He loved us despite the fact that we were rebellious, despite the fact that we were full of sin, despite the fact that we had rejected him. And it was not because he had some warm, fuzzy feeling in his heart toward us. There was affection, but it was despite who we were and anything we did. But because he loved us, and that is to be the same, that we are to love others. And lots of guys don't look at their spouse that way. You know, I was talking with a couple of guys in the past year, no one here in this church, it's the tenth year, and they were talking about, and I was just appalling, they were talking about their wife or potential wife, I should say, about how, how they look at them and, 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 and all of that. And it was funny just how they looked. They looked at them like some income stream. Well, I make $50,000, one said, and let's see if I will make $50,000, and she'll make $50,000, and we can buy the house that would be, let's see, and that type of thing. Or he'll, let's see, yes, my wife will work, and then we're going to send our kids to daycare, and et cetera, et cetera. Your wife is not some income stream. It's not some utilitarian, pragmatic relationship that you're in. We love because what? Because of Christ who works in our heart and allows us to love someone else unconditionally. And that's the type of love that we are to have here for wives. And he gave himself up for her. It's to be a sacrificial love. You know, one commentator writes this. If a loving husband is willing to sacrifice his life for his wife, He's certainly willing to make lesser sacrifices for her. He puts his own likes, desires, opinions, preferences, and welfare aside if that is required to please her and meet her needs. He dies to self 
in order to live for his wife because that is what Christ's kind of love demands. That is his submission. And that type of love, you see, can have a profound effect. You know, there was a woman named Liz Curtis Higgs. Maybe you've heard of her. Once I tell you about her, perhaps you've perhaps seen some of the things that she has done. She was one of the most well-known disc jockeys in America. And she actually lived a very wild lifestyle until there was another wild lifestyle DJ that told her that she should clean up her act. And because she had been burned, you see, so many times by so many men, and her heart had been broken, she was embittered against men, she really became a militant feminist. And she was so very much against men, to underscore that, a militantly styled feminist. But she had a Christian girlfriend. And this Christian girlfriend can asked her to go to church and every so often she would ask this woman to go to church she'd ask her friend to go to church and and after a while one day she said okay I'm going to go to church with you one time and one time only so she went to church that one time with her friend and just so happened that that week the pastor was preaching on Ephesians chapter 5 and he began at verse 22 wise be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord now, when you're talking to a militant feminist, it's probably not the most welcoming passage. In fact, it really, really made her angry. And she was uptight and she was upset. And she continued to listen, though. What happened? She actually heard the second part as he got to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Who was asked to die? The husband was, and when she heard that part, she sort of cynically said to her friend, quote, I'd gladly give my life to any man if I knew he would die for me. The friend leaned over and said, well, Liz, there is a man who loved you enough to die for you, and his name is Jesus Christ. She thought about that, and God broke through her heart. She surrendered her life to Christ a little while later, and she became a believer, and today she's a well-known Christian author and speaker, and you might have seen some of her books published at Lifeway. She wrote, I think, The Bad Girls of the New Testament or something like that. But that love that husbands are to have for their wife can have a profound effect upon them. And that love that Christ had for us is the same love that we're to have. And it's, you see, the thing is, though, when you look at this passage, it's not simply a love and a willingness to die or sacrifice for their joy or for their happiness. After all, Christ didn't die for you. He didn't give his life for you. He didn't suffer on the cross. Simply says that you can be happy so that you could live a cushy, comfortable life, so that you could have joy in your life. That's not why. So we look at why. And the answer is, for the purpose of spiritual growth through the Word. For the purpose of spiritual growth through the Word. Verse 26. So that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. See the motive and the goal? The motive and the goal behind the husband's love is not just to see that his wife's happy. Love looks at what is best for another person's life. It looks at what would be best for their life. 
and sacrifices for that. And God wants, what God wants for us is that we be more like Christ, that we be sanctified, that we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sacrificed himself for that purpose. And that's not to say things that make your wife happy like gifts or vacations or out of the question. But the motive of the husband, if it is to parallel the motive of Christ, which sacrificially loved the church, is that they would be desirous to see their wife grow to be more like godly people. And the text says here it is by means of the word of God. That's to be the motive. That's to be the desire. Do you want your wife to grow and do you love her so that she would be more godly as a person? The question is, have you done? What have you done to help her grow in the Lord Jesus? Because there are plenty of things that you can do to show that you love her, that you can give to her. But how many of those things will spur her faith on? Will help your family to grow in the Lord Jesus? To free your wife's busy schedule so that she can spend that time with the Lord. So that she can be more mature, more satisfied and have that joy that will never leave. To have that joy that comes from a relationship with God that is deep. What do you give her as a gift and how often is it that something that you give her will be something that will help her to be blessed in Jesus Christ? You know, I've seen a lot of wives give up their time, sacrifice for their husbands, so their husbands can maybe go to a conference or go to a mission trip or attend a Bible study. They'll take care of the kids so that their husband doesn't have to worry and he can serve in whatever whatever capacity it might be. Do you do the same to your wife? Free up her time so that she can grow in the Lord, so that she can attend a particular conference that she might be interested in. Do you give her things and gifts that will bless her spiritually, not just simply make her happy? Some husbands do. And one of the things that some wives may hinder that process is if they don't want to grow. They don't want to draw near the Lord. Or there's always an excuse to say, I've got to do this. Go there and see so and so. Husbands often try. And sometimes there is not that desire to. So it's not always simply the husband's negligence. In fact, James and I were talking just last week how sad it was that we have seen and heard of pastors They want to go to seminary. They feel called to the ministry. They want to serve the Lord. And they have a desire that is there to teach the Word of God. But their wives, they don't want to. They don't want to go into the ministry or go into the mission field. Or they're not passionate about the things of the glory of God. And they don't want to reach to the lost. Or they don't want to serve in that capacity for whatever reason. And so they either drop out of seminary and go back into secular work. Or they never enter into seminary. But God has called husbands to have a motivation to see that their wife is sanctified, to see that their wife grows and to do what it might take to show that love so that she can grow in the Lord just as they are. Secondly, there is another motivation and comes in verse 27 for the purpose of spiritual purity. For the purpose of spiritual purity. For it says in verse 27 that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, 
having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. The scriptures say that the desire of Christ is for the purity and the holiness of a church, like a bride. You know, in ancient Greece, the bride, before she got married, would go down to the river and there would be a ceremonial bathing such that she would be clean and ceremonial symbolically of every defilement, of every impurity of her past life. And she would be pure then as she approached the altar to be married to her husband. And that's what I believe, too, would be behind the white wedding dress, the symbol of purity, symbolic of her purity as a, as a wife. And as they came down the aisle, it would be tragic if some, some, somebody who was a guest or if, if threw some mud or grape juice on her dress, staining it, or if she tripped and got her dress dirty. It would anger the husband against that person because her purity, her pure, pure uh, dress would be ruined. It would be an embarrassment. It would make him upset. And so too, so too it should make you upset. If the purity of your spouse were somehow infringed upon because it's your responsibility to protect her purity, her responsibility to protect the things that she sees or reads or comes in contact with such that her spiritual purity would be protected. For Christ desires, too, that the church would be pure someday. And I know that this isn't going to happen literally, but it would be as if the husband were to say, Lord, through all the years that I was married to my wife, these are the things that I have done to help her grow, that she might be as pure as possible as she comes before the throne of God. That is to be... Replicated in the life of the husband, the love of Christ for his church. Secondly, husband is to love their wife as their own self. Verse 28. And it comes and explains in verse 29. Because what? No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church. And that word cherish there pictures a bird who cherishes the nest, who keeps it warm, and who takes care of the family. That is the second analogy that is here. Because people naturally love themselves. They naturally love themselves. Do you realize, I've read recently, that in this generation, we, as a modern day people, have spent more money on pampering ourselves, on creature comforts, than any time else in the history of mankind. Do you realize that a lot of money is spent on plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery? In 2007, over $13 billion was spent on cosmetic surgery alone. That's not to add in how much is spent on, you know... Haircuts or cosmetics or massages or facials or clothing or shoes or on vitamins or supplements. Not to mention how much is spent on health products and fancy restaurants and nice food and exercise. All to please and make oneself feel better. 
Add into that all of the sports and exercise, thousands and thousands of ex- hours and dollars that are spent on equipment and fees and supplies. We join programs, we make plans, people travel places, even to, to do whatever, to play golf and to do all of these things. So we pamper our own selves, whatever we want to make ourselves happier. We invest in our own bodies to please ourselves. You don't have to train your body. To feel good. It is natural that we want to do things for ourselves. No one ever hated his own flesh. Now, secular counselors, they'll tell you, you've got to learn to love yourself. They'll say, you know what the Bible says? You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're going to love your neighbor, you'd better learn to love yourself. That's what they'll tell you. You know what's implied in that verse? Is that you already love yourself. And in verse 29, it affirms that no one ever hated his own body. Even those who say they hate themselves. I hate myself about this or I hate myself about that. Whom are they always thinking about? They're not thinking about someone else. They're thinking about themselves. Because that's whom they're fixed on. Making themselves feel better. And they feed themselves. They indulge themselves. That is how we are. We love ourselves and we are to treat others and love others as yourself. Just as we are to love our wives as we love ourselves with the same amount of care and concern and sensitivity. And the second reason that he gives there is because they are unified. They are unified. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. They are unified. One. They are to be together. So, when you hurt your wife, you hurt yourself. That is the command of the section of this text. And that is the command that is here. Because you are one together. As the body of Christ is. That is the reason that is given. You don't want to hurt your own self. So, we are to treat them like we love ourselves. Last week I mentioned it's very difficult sometimes for wives to submit to husbands because of the expectations of our culture, perhaps because the husbands have relegated their leadership responsibilities and it goes without say it's very difficult as well. If she doesn't feel loved, if she doesn't feel loved, the care and concern and the cherishing of them and helping them to grow so that that love for God will be fostered in the heart. And likewise, just as there are a number of things that hinder wives that husbands do, there are a number of things that wives can do as well that hinder and make it difficult for husbands to love their wives. In fact, in the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3 verse 19, there is a warning for husbands not to be embittered against them, meaning their wives. And it's difficult sometimes because husbands can be embittered against their wife for various things. But one that is primary, I think, is listed here at the end of your text in verse 33. Wives are to respect their husbands. They must see to it that she respects her husband. You see, if there's no respect for him, then it makes it very difficult for him to show love towards his wife. In fact, there's a temptation to be embittered. There are all sorts of ways that people disrespect their husbands. 
Everything is perhaps debated or contended with, or there's arguing and descend decisions. Sometimes there's condescending speech. Sometimes there are differences of opinion. But even in those, there can be the showing of respect. By definition, respect is to show high regard or to esteem, to give deference to, to highly consider their opinion. And respecting one's husband is shown differently in different cultures. Now, I realize that it is a cultural thing in how respect is shown. I remember when I was in India, they show the respect at the meal time when, when the men are, are, are eating. And it made me actually feel somewhat awkward. Because I would come down as a guest, I would come as a guest, and then there would be the husband, and then, the, and then another guest that we were, three of us were eating. And, and the wives would bring out all the food, and the husband and, and, and the men would sit at the table, and they would eat first. And the women would congregate in the kitchen, and they'd be looking out, and I'd think to myself, why aren't they joining us at the table? And every once in a while, they'd come out, and they'd shovel some food onto the plate when they saw that it was empty, and then they would go back into the kitchen. And I'd feel, make me feel very awkward. After we were done, then we went to sit and continue to talk, in which they came out and ate their meal a little bit later. And it was a, somewhat, like I mentioned, an awkward situation. And in Uganda, the customs were a little bit different. They would seem to show uh, a different type of expression for respect in a different way. Even, even the greeting of others, they, the girls would be taught to kind of almost half kneel even as they were walking alongside of the road. But during the mealtime, they would, they would uh, pour water and wash the husband's hands. And then they would serve the food. And after the wife would be done, she would go and kneel beside the husband and as, as the guests ate and they would serve the guests first and all of that sort of thing. We asked a, a Christian wife why they were doing that. And they would explain to us that was their expression of respect for their husbands. And I'm not suggesting that we do that here. I'm suggesting that in every culture there are things that show respect and things that don't show respect. And it can be, make it very difficult for a husband to love his wife when they don't show him respect. The whole of these passages that we've covered these past two weeks is simple. Wives are to submit and respect their husbands and husbands are to sacrificially love their wives. And when they do and they serve in a harmonious relationship, in a co-regency, in leading together, there's harmony as God has inevitably, as God desires would be the pattern. Because when they don't do so, there's inevitably conflict. And there may be plenty of reasons that you may have why you may say, for example, I don't submit or I don't respect him or I don't love her or I don't feel as if I want to love her or serve her or sacrifice myself for her. But not to do so doesn't justify and those things don't justify any of those reasons. Not to do so will dishonor God and disrespects not only the role that they have, but dishonors God. We are to do what we do because it pleases God. And obedience to God will result in a marriage, Lord willing, that will grow and become more as how God wants it to be. You know, a few years ago, Newsweek magazine had a profile. And there was a profile of the lives of Ruth and Billy Graham. And what shown out of their, out of their ministry and life as they profiled 
this great evangelist was not so much the historic crusades and not so much their international impact upon the world, but what shone through the article really was their life and the quality of their marriage. And you might know that Ruth has passed away and passed away in 2007, a year after the article was written. But Billy Graham said this about their marriage in the seasoned life that they have, they had. He said, quote, At night we have time together. We pray together and read the Bible together every night. It's a wonderful period of life for both of us. We've never had a love like we do now. We feel each other's hearts, unquote. Now, wouldn't that be something to have a family and a marriage life that ends its season as that? But that type of life doesn't come overnight and it doesn't come automatically. It comes because two people are committed to the Lord Jesus. And at the end of life, they both love to do the same things. And that is to spend time with the Lord. And that is perhaps, perhaps led by his own leadership and his own family and his desire to have a life that pleases God. And it is a desire that I hope at the end of your life, you too will enjoy with your spouse that someday you can sit down every night and pray together and read the scriptures together and talk about whom you love the most. And that is the Lord Jesus in a marriage that is pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, inevitably, within any group, there are many who struggle, Lord, in their marriage. And I pray, Father, that in these past two weeks, that you would come upon those, perhaps, O oh God, whose family life is so much less than ideal. Perhaps it is a struggle to respect or love or submit. We pray, O oh Father, that you would fill husbands and wives here with your spirit. They might live a life that is pleasing to you, functioning as you desire. That, Father, they might have a fulfilling marriage, a fulfilling relationship and may it be a model of Christ and His church. We pray particularly, Lord, for husbands who set the pace for the family, that they might lead their family in You, that it might not simply be providing money by working, but, Father, that they might be of a spiritual encouragement, that they might be leaders of their family, that you would give them, Lord, the desire and the drive to see that their family and their wives in particular grow in you and be blessed in you. And we pray, God, may you plant that desire in their heart and may their family life change because of your word. 
by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.